0: This episode of the Clear Out was recorded on the first of February, twenty twenty-two, at home in Wicklow, and the launch pad for this week's discussion was the French director Celine Sciamma's brilliant film portrait of a lady on fire, which is a mid nineteenth century set drama. Uh, that focuses on an emerging lesbian love between two women one of whom is a painter and the other of whom is her subject and it got me thinking about the power of being seen and the power of being able to see and the idea of watcher and watchee if you will And so I discussed that film in quite a lot of detail and it does lead me to talk a little about some other films in which uh, female sexuality is presented and especially lesbian sexuality and looking at that differently from um, a male director versus a female director's point of view and what that does to how it is presented on screen so there's a couple of interesting movies discussed in that area and this episode does then recall some of the conversation from last week when I was talking about subjectivity versus objectivity Um, and it also recalls episode 24 Uh, where I spoke about the fear of being seen and that does play into the conversation today Um, and I conclude talking about the the stakes of no longer being able to recognise what we see and what that does to our sense of self and I asked the question if in losing sight of others we also lose sight of ourselves so all of that is coming up. I hope you find time to listen. I'll see you there. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind Leaving the Dream Behind Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to the Clear Out. Welcome. How are you today? Is the sun shining on your little heart? Have you got a little bit of light in your life keeping you keeping you lit? Keeping you Illuminated, shedding light on what you need to see. Because we need a little bit of light, don't we? I think we do. That's um, that's the subject matter of a, of a poem, that I'm trying to compose in my head, or have been for the last couple of months. Um, how much light do we need? Because we do we don't. we don't need light we don't need light all the time and we don't need all of the light ever do we that's something i'll i'll return to maybe in poetic form um yeah there you are so last week's episode went really well it's the least <laughs> it's the least listened to episode of the of the podcast so far Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure why it wasn't a particularly controversial subject but uh, I think fundamentally it was about you know pain management um, emotional and psychological pain so maybe after two years of the pandemic people have had enough you know my my massive my massive audience <laughs> has had enough. They're like, ah, oh, here, listen, <laughs> give it a rest, will you? Give us something. Give us something lighter. Um. So look. So there you go. I I started I started today's today's episode with uh, a reference to light. Um, but yeah, it's it's um it's challenging. It's challenging for me when I go okay nobody listened to that one um nobody in inverted commas it wasn't nobody nobody there were a few a few hits but uh i do i do need to raise my game in how i'm presenting the podcast in the public domain and apply a little bit more strategy a bit more thought behind what i put out there we are we're you know, we're living in an age where we're always we're always looking for the next thing, I guess that might be an absolute un absolutely unoriginal thing to say, and maybe people have said that for years. you know maybe that idea predates I'm sure it predates anything to do with the internet or the internet age, the digital age. We like we i speak for us i speak for humans so i'm being interviewed by a martian and they're like what are humans like dara we we really want to know i want to go back and tell tell my fellow aliens and then we hesitate and we discuss who is the alien here if a human arrives on mars surely the human is the alien now the scientists are the astronomy buffs out there I'll be like why is he even referring to Mars as a planet that has aliens it's absolutely absurd there's just red dust on that planet nothing else so stop it this story is annoying me but I'm going to stick with it so if I land on Mars and all the Martians are like let's interview the alien alien tell us who are you I'm a human oh you're a human okay human tell us about your fellow humans and then I would say, well, we like new things and that's why I've been sent out into the universe to find a new planet for us to live on and that's why I'm here. And soon several spaceship, several spaceships of battalions of soldiers are going to land here and eradicate your people, your race, so we can occupy your planet, okay? cool because we were looking for something new and your planet seemed like the right way to go a good starting point for our expansionist vision for the human race anyway i was i was trying to say before i went on that digression that arguably we crave we always crave something new to stimulate us and we're living in an age when we are, rel- you know, being relentlessly presented with new images. You know, we're, we're living in a very visual age, and we receive so much visual stimulation via the via the internet and via our our gadgets and our devices. Um, And, of course, we play our own role in this game of presentation. Uh, I spoke about this. I spoke about this in episode 24, which was uh, three months ago. I spoke about this in the episode called The Fallible Smotherboard and the Fear of Being Seen. And I did talk about the impact of the impact of social media, the impact of living out our lives or living out a version of our lives on social media and the transactionary nature of that and you know what we present versus what we choose not to present and the 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 relationship we develop with images of ourselves and images of our lives and the relationship we develop with the curation of our lives. And then the transactionary element comes in when we're we're looking for a response and we're looking for that that approval, that thumbs up, that like, that comment, that reaction. And then we get the dopamine hit, that little rush of Oh, I've been noticed oh, I've been seen. oh, I'm being liked, and we're not necessarily stopping to reflect on the on the artificiality of it all the artifice the you know you know it's there's a there's a disconnect from reality because i mean essentially what is it? it's like you know if we didn't have the digital equivalent maybe we'd be meeting in a warehouse in the biggest warehouse you can conceive and there's thousands upon thousands of people (laughs) thousands thousands upon thousands of people in there with their scrapbooks holding up their scrapbooks and going look at this one look at this one look here's me in my underwear oh look Here's me with my smashed avocado. Oh look, here's me with my kitten. Oh look, here's here's a picture of my new shoes. Oh look, here's a picture of whatever. And it's just this cacophony of everyone vying for attention and they've brought their scrapbooks or maybe the more ambitious people have brought their little home projector and a box of slides and a screen and they're like here's my holiday snaps (laughs) that's the first person that's going to get killed everyone's just going to beat that person to death with scrapbooks get out of here man with your holiday snaps we're not interested um in any case i sort of i did i veered into that territory um three months ago and you know i spoke about you know transitioning going through different stages of your life and being vulnerable when you're transitioning from one stage to the next and not wanting to be seen um mid-scramble you know like you're scrambling you know it's like you're scrambling up a bank so you know there's another level on this sort of uh you know these kind of tiers of of earth of clay and it's an angled bank and you've got to kind of scramble up to get to a level and scramble up again to, the next, to get to the next level. And on each level, there's cool things happening and it's a nice party and there's good people or there's a good experience to be had. You don't want to be seen scrambling. You just want to be there in that place. We crave that arrival point. Again, I'm speaking to the Martians. I speak for all humans. Arrival. We want Arrival. Um, and we don't want to be seen in the the scrambling state we want to be seen poised ready for consumption ready for interaction integration seamless the seamless meld into the mass uh, where we will be embraced and approved of Um, yeah so anyway So what more do I have to add to this particular concept around the idea of the visual, around the idea of being seen, around the idea of seeing? And this is the other element of what I've just been talking about. The idea of having an endless procession of images put before us. on our computers, on our phones, wherever we may be, it makes watchers of us all. It makes voyeurs of us all. Now, this is an argument that David Thompson, the the film critic, uh, it's a key it's a key kind of pillar of his um, his film film philosophy, if you will. We will. We will. So this idea of watching film, watching movies as a person sitting in a dark room and it's a fundamentally sexual position and one that he unapologetically embraces that we like to watch and of course the being concealed while one watches allows allows one to to entertain the the pleasure that one experiences from watching more safely you know more privately and so it's you know there's a real well there's something of course arguably you know transgressive about that um, because you have you have power that you know being hidden and being able to watch, you have power, power to enjoy your own response, power to allow that response to lead you to other sensations or feelings or actions. And on, you know, on another, on a level, this is this is the similar kind of power we enjoy when we view someone's profile on, you know, Instagram or or Facebook. And in fact, I, I did come across something yesterday uh it just it it came up in my again these you know the phones they are programmed to just throw stuff in your face so you get your little these little notifications and twitter for some reason you know they, they obviously they're using their algorithms and they decide oh you'll be interested in this and they pop something up on your screen and I try to just—I mean, I—I'm I'm sure I can just deactivate them, but I haven't yet with Twitter. So something came up yesterday, and basically, it was a, a young woman. She's a Catalan student of of what political history, something like that. She—I saw on her Twitter, uh, her Twitter feed that she'd written a review of. Um, I'm not sure if it was a book or an academic paper. I think it was a book about. How the Irish had fought in the um, the Spanish Civil War, um, and how the Irish had fought against Franco. I think that was that was fundamentally it. So she was writing a review; it had been written by two Irish guys. Anyway, Grant. That's was, I'm just trying to give you a background. That's her area. the The tweet that was offered up on my phone was her expressing what disgust, outrage, horror that she had left her phone in, i no, sorry, her boyfriend had left her phone into a phone repair shop and she got the phone back but like at 1am like on Saturday night three guys from the phone shop rang her and yeah, she was just going like what the hell is going on? What, you know, on, on how many levels is this wrong? Um, I mean, extraordinary stuff, really. But, again, we have what? The, like, the invasiveness, the absolute, of course, lack of professionalism. Her concern was, in a way, her concern didn't seem to be like these guys rang her, although that was obviously concerning enough and she just blocked, you know, blocked their numbers, fine. But her concern was like, what else? Apart from getting her phone number um, and then using it, what other information did they take from her phone and you know with whom did they share it um now i'm not sure what my i I mean i'm not sure what the point is i'm trying to make there connected to what i've been talking about previously just that phones are bad that's not my point the the internet oh god the internet sounds like such an old fogey term I don't know why I keep coming back to that I don't like it um, the technology the technology that is that, that we're all immersed in and from which we find it you know which okay I, I, I should stop saying we and speaking for humans and speak for myself there's there's an unavoidability it seems about the technology that's out there about big tech about the tentacles of big tech and their insidious algorithms that infiltrate our lives you know as soon as you're using as soon as you're using a mobile phone as soon as you're browsing on uh on on google you're handing over information and of course most websites now allow you to try and opt out of the information that's shared Uh, but they're they're still finding ways i'm sure they're still finding ways and this invasion of privacy is um is an aspect so what happened to that young woman you know it's it's an aspect of boundaries being erased and it's an aspect of that power that i was talking about before the power of the voyeur and the 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 willingness to to not care about boundaries to go oh that that girl that woman is attractive and i'm going to ring her up at my mates why what's the end game to be aggressive to have a laugh to to just roll the dice and see if a positive outcome can happen. Um, I mean, in the context of recent conversations that I've had around around male violence, um, do we throw that in there as well? Is that an act of male violence? I mean, I think I think logically, you can argue that it is. It's it's an aspect of that, certainly. Um, the the online space is isn't safe. I think that's I think that's something we can say um, as humans. Uh, the online space isn't a particularly safe space, and it's a very attritional space, and it's a space where because people are able to be in that space from the safety of a closed door. From the safety of being behind a closed door, from the safety of being in another country, from the safety of being very much physically removed from the consequences that people behave abominably online. Nice use of the word abominably. Um, but anyway, look, I, I, I didn't know I was going to go to that place. Um, it's it is connected to the kind of the broader the broader topic I'm interested in talking about um or it's the or it, or it or it is the broader backdrop of a narrower focus that I want to bring to the to the discussion today and the yeah and this is the idea of the power of seeing the power of watching and the the tension between being seen and seeing and the the platform then that I want to kind of launch this conversation off is an absolutely brilliant french film from 2019 which you may have seen it's called portrait of a lady on fire um the french was portrait the jeune fille en feu so portrait of a young girl on fire and it's a french movie directed by Celine Sciamma or Sciamma s c i a m m a uh and i watched it the other night and i was like oh i know that director's name what else have i seen by her and she first came to my attention about six years ago she directed a movie called Girlhood um, and in French that was like bande de fi *band de fi like team of girls and that was set in the suburbs of contemporary uh, Paris and focused on um, African French girls um, and their experience of, you know, growing up of being teenagers in 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 the diverse and often kind of disenfranchised suburb suburban kind of communities of of paris the kind of the tower block communities and it's an absolutely brilliant that, that's also an absolutely brilliant film girlhood and well worth checking out uh, because of what it's i suppose what it's presenting about Uh, female friendship female maturation and the way it sort of very um, positively presented sort of female young female identity and vitality and vibrancy um, and um, solidarity in the face of many other factors that were against them like set up against them socially historically culturally economically um and so maybe sometimes a movie like that could fall into social realism and maybe in the kind of the ken loach school just be kind of be gritty you know challenging confronting grimly realistic um which you know they all you know and those you know a movie, you know the ken loach's movies they you know they stand up really well um and they there's a sort of a you know a brutal a brutal sort of empathy or a brutal compassion in Ken Loach's movies that can often be hard to watch um the girlhood the the, the other movie of that that celine shiyama directed um it sort of made different choices and you know, you came away with a great sense of the sort of the the resilience and, you know, potential, unknown, but, you know, the the potential kind of, you know, positive futures of of the characters that she focused on. Um, But that's, yeah, and just a, you know, as I say, like a really kind of vibrant, colourful, strong, um, in no way kind of sentimental or wishy-washy representation of these young women growing up in Paris at the moment. Um, so worth checking out, worth checking out. But this movie then that I watched the other night, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, was, it couldn't be, it couldn't be more different um, because it's a, it's a period drama set in the, the 1800s and it's fundamentally uh, a lesbian romance movie. Um, a lesbian romance period drama but it is told with such tremendous restraint and precision and space and calmness without the need to be explicit or you know without without telling so it's very much a show don't tell um movie and it has this small cast and it's very much to to return to um to to return to the episode i did uh before christmas about female texts and art as a response to erasure and to yeah to take that phrase that during the Griefe really homed in on in her book a ghost in the throat of you know a female text um, this is very much a female text and it's very much female space and the director I'll 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 copy in I'll throw in a link for the for an interview with the director where she where she kind of breaks down her her thinking and what she was attempting to do with the movie. Uh, Watch the movie first, though, before you read the interview, maybe. Um, She wanted to represent on screen a sort of a a sisterhood. So in in that regard, it was it is a a nice companion piece to girlhood um, because she she speaks about sorority and female only spaces and the you know the, the, the you know the premise of the story is simple um a wealthy woman employs a painter to to do a portrait of her daughter who she wants to marry off to uh, to an Italian um you know Italian you know aristoc- aristocrat and the the daughter is, you know, is, is sort of in a state of depression, and the painter, who has been employed, is a woman, and she has to she's been has been told by the mother, you can't be seen to paint her. She knows she's not going to pose for you. She doesn't want that. You're going to have to do this surreptitiously. So you're going to be a sort of a companion and then you're going to have to kind of really steal your looks um, and then go back and do the painting secretively uh, when you're not with my daughter. And so that is basically the setup. Um, The mother is played by Valeria Golino, who to English speaking audiences would be known from Rain Man. uh, Like 1988, she was Tom Cruise's girlfriend in that, who um you know is is you know is a very sympathetic character in that movie and sort of opens maybe a window in the Tom Cruise character's mind to view uh his his autistic brother with a bit more tenderness or openness or love um she was also in the uh the spoof movies hot shots with Charlie Sheen and then I remember her from an Italian movie from Oh, it's over twenty years ago now. Respiro, where she was uh, a woman living on an Italian island, in like a, a small village on the island, and she was just more than the the locals could handle because she was so impulsive and, um, you know, prone to uh, exuberant flights of fancy, and you know, guiding about, not uh, not behaving you know, <laughs> not behaving as as they deemed fit um really a really nice performance but in any case she plays the mother in this movie and um yeah i, I didn't recognize her at first and it's like oh my goodness valeria galino looking looking ish looking a little bit like one of the cusack sisters the uh the irish actresses um who some of one or one or two of whom would be maybe a similar age. Um in any case the movie really explores then the 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 sort of the the, the, the tension the tension of attraction and the tension of this idea of being seen and the power of the the watcher. And, of course, over the course of the story, the two women in question gradually fall in love, and it's yeah it's just it's just done really really well it's as i say i mean I come back to that word restrained and it's there's a there's a bit of a a set piece towards the towards the middle of the movie where they're out at night they're with the the, the maid who is the other woman who features quite prominently in the story and they're out at a sort of a it's a it's a festival there's a bonfire burning it's night time and it's all women it's all women there there's no men so again you've got this kind of women only space and they're all working women so the painter is she's in her own category of what she's allowed to do the woman that she's doing the portrait of is an aristocrat and so higher up so there's you know there's these dynamics of of class and and status and um you know the sort of social and the socio-political kind of implications of of status of what it is to be a woman what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do and i mean that's you know that called that recalls um the discussion of the last duel from a couple of episodes ago the ridley scott movie about the, the 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 woman who's trying to have her honor um avenged by her her husband in medieval france um so in any case there's a this amazing set piece at the at this nighttime festival out in the it's it's out in the countryside because they're on a, they're on an island think it's a uh, it's Brittany um, but and this is maybe a bit of a, a directorial flourish by the director um, where suddenly the women begin this sort of it, what sounds initially really ominous a sort of a, a droning um, open um, vocal sound that sounds yeah almost horror um you know you know laden with horror that but it, it morphs into a sort of a chant and into this kind of lovely you know impromptu choral piece um which is most unexpected but i found it very effective and again it speaks to the the confidence of the director and the you know the, the 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 mastery of tone that it wasn't excessively jarring um and there's a couple of other you know visual things that she does in the movie you know that that are interesting um but in any case it's um it's a really yeah it's a really interesting and lovely film and and beautifully shot um with these a lot of kind of muted tones and and soft light um, so it's not, you know, sometimes when we think of period dramas, like everything is extremely ornate and lavish and it's like, uh, you know, it's like it's like costume porn um, and set design porn. This is this is not the case. It's very it's very controlled and and deliberate. And I think that is That is often the hallmark of great movie makers, that there's nothing accidental on screen, that everything has a purpose. Everything has its place. Everything is either moving plot forward or evoking something that is going to take us to, you know, take us to the sort of the emotional payoff of the story and this movie is very very much in that area um really 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 nicely done um just on the 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 physical intimacy of the two characters i think it's always interesting when you see female directors working with uh sex scenes because there's often a very different energy um a very different sort of dynamic that comes into play um and this you know this film is very much about the absence of the male gaze it's very much about the presence of the female gaze and what the female gaze permits, and a sort of a an equality yeah an equality of 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 status, so even though socially the characters in the movie are, you know, from different um, different strata of society, there is in the absence of men, there is a sort of a, an equality of of the feminine, an equality of womanhood, and that extends to the the servant girl as well, the maid, who has her own storyline, which is. You know, which is very very kind of central to the the, the 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 emerging love and the and the growth of the and strengthening and deepening of the connection between our two protagonists. And it's really only in the presence of the mother who is older and you know very much the power holder in the story um in terms of because you know it's 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 her the painter is in her employ and that's when you get maybe a more traditional power dynamic um you know being presented um although there is a no I won't I won't, I won't. no spoilers no spoilers I'm not going to I'm not going to ruin it there's just there's just a nice moment uh, at the end of the film between the painter and the mother and that's all I'll say um but in any case it is interesting it's always striking to me because obviously if you go through certainly the history of a lot of mainstream American and, uh, you know, British movies, English language movies. We're talking about a lot of male directors and male directors directing sex scenes, um, you know, conventional sort of, like you know, the kind of the, the hetero sex scene. Um, and it's a very, you know, it's a very particular, it's a very particular thing um and the pressure on actresses to disrobe to to show themselves um to show their naked bodies that's you know that that's a an, an old story um in hollywood and it can be you know there's a lot of power wrapped up in that because we're not you know because of censorship laws you weren't showing kind of full frontal nudity of men but there was always the desire to to present women and to objectify beautiful actresses and so you know the male gaze there's there is that objectification and there is that um that power dynamic at play which if you kind of step away and kind of go you know what did the actress agree to do and of course there are horrible stories about how the actress's trust was betrayed and how actresses have been manipulated um by directors and actors conspiring um I think I referred to it in another episode, I mean most infamously between um you know in, in, in Bernardo Bertolucci's Last Tango in Paris, where he and Marlon Brando conspired to to manipulate um Maria Schneider in the in the controversial sex scene um in that movie um which doesn't you know again you know this I'm, I'm I'm steering myself into the the discussion about you know kind of art versus the artist can you love the art and condemn the artist um I don't know I mean I just think for me the That space, and it doesn't have to be just, you know, an arts space or a movie set. I think if you're in a position of power, the exploitation or manipulation of those who are not in a position of power is, it's just immoral. It's, um, I just don't think it's on, on any level. Um, Now, I don't want to be too kind of zealous about it or puritanical I think a director's job um, one of you know one of the jobs of a director of course you know if we stay with specifically with kind of acting is to help an actor get to a place that they might not be able to get to by themselves but I'm thinking more from a sort of a psychological or emotional um, frame of reference to help them access something in the character that's going to bring out a richer performance i'm not talking about you know i'll help you get naked i'll help you show your breasts or i'll help you you know remove your underwear that's not what i'm talking about um but in any case to go back to portrait of a lady on fire the 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 relationship between the two women and the the sexual relationship that ensues is is fully consensual. It's extremely respectful. It is not lacking in passion. It is not lacking in eroticism. Um, And it works really well. And if you compare that to, say, I'm just trying to recall the name of that French movie from a few years ago. Is it Blue is the Warmest Colour? I'm just going to... I'm actually going to quickly... I'm going to quickly look that up on mic. Dun, dun, dun! But in that movie... uh, I'm pretty sure it was called Blue is the Warmest Colour. Yeah, Blue is the Warmest Colour, which was 2013. And that was... I think it was based on a graphic novel. Um... And that featured extremely explicit uh, lesbian sex scenes between the two main characters. Um, and that was directed by a man, um, Abdelatif Keshish. And my recollection is that that was not a particularly happy set and that he really drove his actresses to the brink of um, you know of of consent you know and of artistic consent because he pushed them so hard um, in that area of being explicit now it's ultimately I think the film does work because there is uh, an integrity to the story and it is about sexual awakening and so that is relevant um, but again if you're talking about what did those you know what were those actresses willing to do? what did they actually signed up for, and how much were they then coerced to do or manipulated to do um but again, you can watch the film and make up your own mind, but i you know what you know what's my argument it's not it's not an argument, but I think if Celine Siama had directed blue as the warmest colour would be looking at a very different movie, and so you do call into question, you know, what's what is the director's objective? So, the Keshish, the director of *Bluest Warmest Color*, was he, was he satisfying his own desire to see these women up on screen? Was he getting off himself on on directing them to those extremes? Um there's a different agenda and if you take another um, another female directed movie with a sex scene um, In the Cut by Jane Campion from 2013 uh, no not 2013 2003 sorry Um, In the Cut features a sex scene between um, Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo it's a you know and, and it's a it's a sort of a psychological thriller um you know mystery romance there's a bit of romance in there because the meg ryan character falls for this cop who's a homicide detective uh played by mark ruffalo and there is i remember watching it at the time and there's a sex scene between them and i remember thinking okay this this isn't directed by a man because the man was very much the mark ruffalo character was very much in the service in the sexual service of the Meg Ryan character, and again, you kind of, you know, it was striking because you you realize, oh yeah, we're not we don't see this much. We don't see that that desire to pleasure the to give pleasure to the to the female character um, from a straight you know from her you know her male lover. It's a less common presentation. Um, another just staying in this area for the moment of um female sexuality and you know gay female sexuality lesbian sexuality a really interesting film from 2014 is the duke of burgundy directed by peter strickland an english director and a, what we have in this one is it's it's a really quirky atmospheric 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 uh, sort of psychodrama um featuring a, a sadomasochistic relationship between these two women um consensual but one is the dominant the dominant and one is the the submissive and we're brought into the world not knowing what's going on but the the women are enacting these role plays and it's Again, a very beautifully shot movie with lots of sort of muted colors, very atmospheric. And you have then, of course, you know, very explicitly with a sadomasochistic relationship, an exploration of power and sexuality and how in the story of that movie, how that sadomasochism stops working like it places a strain on the emergent um attraction or it places a a strain that the you know the existing attraction or love can't quite withstand um but it's it, it, it again it works really well um the the actress, she's Danish, I think, isn't she? Sitze Babbitt Knudsen. Uh, Knudsen. She was in um, what was that Scandinavian? One of those first big Scandinavian series that really broke the whole Scandi, Scandi Noir. Scandi. It was. It was. The, it was the political one. Oh, I didn't watch it, that's why I can't remember the name of it. We're probably talking ten years ago. It was hugely popular. Set. it? Was, was there a female? A female prime minister of Denmark or did the the the, did the main character ascend to become the leader of Denmark anyway it's that actress that's who I'm talking about I've just gone blank on that show anyway whatever I'll um I can look that up in a heartbeat uh but in any case that so do there, so there's an example of a movie that goes against what I'm, I'm saying where a male director can present something um a male director can present the lesbian lesbian sexuality um in a way that 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 works and doesn't seem manipulative or exploitative uh that series was borgen that's the one i was trying to remember anyway there you go so yes the the male gaze is referenced explicitly in portrait of a lady on fire because there's a sequence in the story where the the young uh, aristocrat she is reading to the painter and to the to the servant girl while the mother is away for a few days she reads the story of orpheus and eurydice which basically is the story from greek mythology of how orpheus descends to Hades to try to save the woman he's in love with, the beautiful Eurydice. And he convinces Hades to allow him to take Eurydice back to the surface, back to back to the world, to the human world. And his only condition is you... You have to lead her out of Hades, out of hell and you must never look back at her before you reach the human world and Orpheus agrees but just as they're about to get to the human world he he can't stop himself from looking back whether he hears Eurydice say something or he just wants to check that she's okay or he wants to. He can't resist looking at her, and the second he looks at her, she just sort of vaporizes, and her, she's taken back, taken back, um, taken back to Hades, um, and that's that's the end of her. And again, if you if you if you if you read Celine Shahma, she kind of says, well, well, that's it, isn't it? The the male gaze her it's just like whoa that's it that's 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 quite extreme isn't it (laughs) but it's as as that story is woven into the the narrative of the movie it works really well because you got the the three women with their kind of differing perspectives on the significance of of the myth and you know was Orpheus heartbroken was it a terrible mistake or on some level, did he want to lose Eurydice? Did he want her to to die? Because then he would be able to remember her in that perfect form forever uh, and not have to watch her grow old and lose her feminine vitality and her beauty. He wouldn't have to see her age and become unattractive. Um... And that's, uh, you know, that that is, that's one way to look at that. It's one way to look at that myth. Um, Orpheus, you know, the, he couldn't, he couldn't do what he was asked to do. He didn't have the discipline. He didn't have the discipline not to look. And so that's an interesting, that's an interesting idea. The power to not look. And I'm going to argue to go, back to, to go back to the idea of the amount of stuff we consume visually nowadays. The question is, and the challenge is, do you have the power not to look? Do you have the power to avert your eyes? Do you have the power to simply put the phone away, put the phone down, you know, just shut it down. And I think, you know, like, and, and this is the thing. Are, part of that question is also, what do you choose to look at? What do you choose to look at? And to bring it into sort of, to bring it back to the, as always with me, to bring it back to the area of wellness, of personal responsibility, of agency, of personal insight, Are you thinking about what you look at in terms of how it affects you, in terms of how it affects your sense of wellness? And I, as I've mentioned before, I've been a reluctant visitor to the world of social media. Really, you know, only since starting the podcast have I and I mean, I'm not going to use the word immersed because I haven't immersed myself. And maybe that's part of the problem um, in terms of trying to promote, <laughs> in terms of trying to promote the podcast. The, you know, I find the likes of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, because they're the ones that I'm using to try and raise the profile of the podcast, you know I do I find myself on them and you'll click on something you know you're interested in and I try to use them sort of organically to go oh that person's interested in wellness oh they have a platform or they've got something you know maybe maybe there's a a point of connection here maybe there's a a point of commonality uh, one in which we find ourselves in agreeance and then we can step off uh, together or I can attract I can attract traffic to the podcast based on an interaction with that person's platform. And I think that's partly the idea of uh, a social network. Um, obviously, that's one way it works. Um, but there's so much else that you end up clicking on. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm no less susceptible than anybody else to click on you know, pictures of cats and things like that Um, and polar bears. I found polar bears the other day. But ultimately, it's just it's just this kind of aggravant. And it's this. I mean, I I recognized a few years ago that I had to stop eating kind of junky sweets um, because apart from wrecking my bloody my teeth and gums and being completely unhealthy, the that, that initial hit of wallowing in, in the sugar rush, it just really left me with such a kind of a, a negative um, kind of reaction in my brain. You know, it sat in such a sort of a, I don't know, uh, you know, a, a, soiled <laughs> a soiled place that I was like, I've got to stop doing this this is um, it's just not doing it, it what's it, it's not doing anything good for me not in the not in the long term the sustainable benefits of eating skittles have yet to be proven um, I haven't you know I haven't seen the I haven't seen the research but I'm pretty sure eating you know a couple of bags of of sour opal fruits um, are they're called starburst now aren't they so the the sweets formerly known as uh, opal fruits um yeah the the the, the research uh, it's i haven't seen it but i doubt it's good um in any case to bring it back to what we're consuming the the for me then yeah uh, you know, my argument is that the social media thing the consumption of the, 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 the you know the consumption of that content is the same as eating the fizzy sweets. It's the same as eating the bag of sherbet. And while you're kind of going initially, yum, yum, eventually you're going, oh my God, I feel unwell. And, you know, what we choose to look at then is part of that. So it takes discipline to go, boom, I'm just going to disconnect here and switch off. And to add to what's not good about that, there's the and i mean i referred to this earlier there's the artificiality of it there's the 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 sort of two-dimensionality of it which is completely you know it, that's that's hitting a, a part of the brain that is not um it's not satisfying the way being immersed in nature you know for a very obvious counterpoint but to you'd actually you'd actually be better off you know getting a bowl of fruit and looking at the bowl of fruit for ten minutes. That would do more for you. Just to aesthetically immerse yourself in a bowl of apples with a bunch of grapes and a banana and two satsumas and a little kiwi fruit. And maybe a grapefruit all in the bowl look at them I'm feeling calmer already even talking about them <laughs> so that, that's, that's what I'm going to do now as part of my you know my, my daily routine I'm going to assemble my fruit <laughs> not a euphemism I'm going to assemble my fruit and stare at it um, but again organic three-dimensional, something sensory, something I can touch, something I can hold, something I can smell. Um, This is a way to centre ourselves. It's a way to calm ourselves. It's a way to return to the body and to get away from the the, the 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 jibber jabber, the the just these the sort of the 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 congestion of the visual as presented on in the in the online space. Um and that's a positive thing, surely, surely that's a positive thing. Come on. Um and now okay look, you might go, look, this doesn't this this is not relevant to me. I'm not I'm not living in that world. My fear is while that might be true on a level, my fear is we are all living in that world because that is the world we live in now that is the nature of the world that is the that is the nature of how far reaching the tent the tentacles of tech have uh, have extended themselves into into our very selves um, yeah but anyway so i'm going to i'm going to conclude today's episode with just a little bit of a a little bit of an exploration then of the the and, and no it, and this is a this is bringing up some of the things i've touched on already today but this idea of seeing ourselves and again just to just to recall an idea i mentioned in the 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 episode from um from november episode 24 when we're endlessly presented with the social media frame here's the instagram post here's the facebook post here's my photos we are being invited to constantly sort of centre ourselves in the frame to put ourselves into the middle of the picture and then await reaction and it's it's a fundamentally unhealthy dynamic because over okay, that's fine, you can kind of go, well hold on a second, if we're taking this back into the analog world and you're you've got your little stack of photos and you meet your friend and go oh yeah here's some photos I just took or here's photos from our our holiday and there's you know five minutes less a few minutes of just flicking through photographs and then they're put away and you're back in you're back in the real world the you know the impact the impact of that is not the same as having 24 hour access to either the consumption of other people's images or the and again i use the word curation i'll use it again the curation of your own image and i see that i mean i'm seeing i see that a lot in the online space and i mean i'm doing it myself in terms of you know i have my mug up um as part of the branding of the podcast um and i'm doing a little bit of you know in 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 my tentative social media um, engagement I'm I am using my own image every now and again and I do I do I do a little video every week to summarize the podcast Um, but then I kind of walk away and I don't think about it again I sort of drop it um, which feels like that feels like a the good way to go for me although I have a <laughs> my my you know the other the only other person who's involved in anything connected to the podcast uh, my friend Daniel in Australia who helps me with the branding I think he's going to be pushing me in a, a different direction to try and um, utilize these platforms more I'm, I'm I'm reluctant but I think it's going to be a necessary evil and uh, but in any case the point I was going to make is over time I think the effect on our sense of self is, is not good, is not good. What What happens is we become very, very kind of conscious of how we're perceived. Now, when I say that sentence, I'm thinking, well, when's the last time you felt like that? Because typically that's a very adolescent state of mind, the self-consciousness of, you know, of, of growing up, the self-consciousness of being exposed and one of the reasons the the adolescent kind of sensibility is so is often so sort of excruciatingly self-conscious and tortured is because of the sense of loss of control the sense of i don't know what my body is doing and i don't know what my my voice is doing and i've got these feelings that i cannot control and these hormonal impulses and i feel i feel a sort of a a dysmorphia i feel unformed malformed i feel distorted and that is that is a state of discomfort and that is a state of alienation and because of that that brings the feeling of extreme self-consciousness how am i seen how am i coming across and it's my contention that that's what social media does to us regardless of our age if we're someone who's living in that space and spending a lot of time you know presenting ourselves in that space the effect is is not dissimilar um and so I think in terms of, of wellness, the more we can, the more we, we, we can become aligned with ourselves, the more we have a sense of self-possession and the more we have a sense of knowing who we are, the less we need to care about how we're perceived and the less we need to care about how we're seen and you know this is a very this is a very important point and there is you know that you know there are passionate sort of um thinkers on this area of we not you know naturally we are built to be unable to see ourselves like the physical anatomical setup of the human body, and of I mean, of all animals, really. I mean, that's okay. I need David Attenborough to chime in here to correct me, but you know, <laughs> we're we're designed to look outwards. We're not designed to look inwards. I mean, you know, that that's no, that's that's probably not entirely correct. We're not designed to be able to remove our eyeballs. So let's say a little bit like um, that 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 quite quite horrific image from pan's labyrinth where the little girl is being pursued by the monster through that tunnel out of which she can escape from the underworld and that monstrous figure removes his eyes and puts them in the palms of his hands so he can see um and then of course you could turn those palms on yourself to see yourself the we're not designed to do that so we're not designed to view ourselves objectively that's for other people to do. Now, I mean, I spoke last week about objectivity and subjectivity and the power. I'm, I, you know, my argument last week was that if we can accept that our viewpoint is very subjective and then also accept that everyone else's viewpoint is subjective and accept that there's an implied, um, an implied flaw and an implied unreliability in those competing viewpoints... Then that perhaps will encourage us to let go of our anxiety around other people's views of us and to trust our own view of how our own view of our reality, so you know that is also then again like if that's if that's the if that is a visual sense, I'm not sure i mean that's part of it of course. I mean, for me, that's more the internal I and the internal, you know, the mind that we bring to our sense of self, the mind that we bring to our reality, the mind that we bring to our narrative. Um, but the I wanted to kind of go to the point and this brings back the kind of the adolescent mindset that there is, of course. A vulnerability in feeling we can't align ourselves so that sense of i don't have control of self i don't have control of my body my feelings my thoughts and if that is the you know if 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 that is the the reference point from which i view the world like if that's if that's the, the like the physical The physical arrangement of self aligned with the 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 mental perception of self if those things being in check and being in the right place is what allows me to to position myself in life and then to understand how i relate to others and then that in it that itself is a form of of world building and that's a form of um, oh, I don't want to say I was going to say certitude, but well, maybe that's okay. I mean, what I'm trying to say, you know, that that's a it's a means of making the world solid, and then that's um, you know, that's a mechanism for for recognition, and in that regard, it's it's a form of world building, and so. The question then is the idea, if we bring this back then, and I'm I'm wrapping up with this, if we bring this back to the idea of what we see and who we see, and then who sees us and what we're seen by, that these are, you know, these are sort of fixed ideas. And there's a sort of a, a linear a linear sort of transaction that happens as one gaze meets another gaze one set of eyes meets another set of eyes and then that's what passes between us is i see you you see me therefore we're here therefore this is real and the the visual becomes a a conduit then for something will pass between us now and in the movie Portrait of a Girl on Fire, what passes between those two women becomes love, becomes desire, um, becomes, um, you know, an incredible sort of, you know, bond and attraction and kind of magnetism, uh, uh, you know, of desire. Um, But what happens then when, when we lose sight of that which we know? What happens when we lose sight of others? Because if others become our reference points, if others become the the the, the ways of, that we verify our truths, if we lose sight of that, perhaps we lose sight of ourselves. And that is a very fearful sort of place and it was interesting I was listening to uh, a podcast yesterday um, and I might I might throw in the link for that as well Um, I was listening to one of Adam Buxton's podcasts so I think it's just called the Adam Buxton podcast and he was interviewing Billy Connolly a couple of years ago it was just before the pandemic and it was a bit of a review of uh, Billy Connolly's kind of life and times and his career. Um, and of course, Billy Connolly has. Does he have Parkinson's disease? Is that it? Um, but he was incredibly funny and jolly and truthful. Um, I've, I've always, I've always liked Billy Connolly. Um, he comes across. Yeah, he, he always comes across really well. He's just very much himself. But he told a story about seeing um, Robin Williams. Um, a f- you know obviously before he died and how they went out for dinner they'd been pals for a long time they'd met way back in the start of their careers and they'd remained very good friends over the years and they went out for dinner in a in america somewhere and robin williams billy connolly thought robin williams wasn't really kind of in great shape um looking a bit haggard and he'd been kind of drinking again and Billy Connolly expressed concern and Robin Williams assured him he was okay. And they parted ways that night but before they parted ways Robin Williams said to Billy Connolly you know I love you, don't you? And Billy Connolly was like yeah of course I do, of course I do. Uh, And that was grand and off they went. And um, again Billy Connolly was relaying this story in the podcast and he said yeah two days later Robin Williams was dead. He'd uh, taken his own life. And the you know what struck me listening to that story again and again thinking about this idea of seeing being seen the 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 certitude we gain from this sort of visual game of recognition being seen by others seeing them robin williams had been diagnosed with um louis body dementia and it seems to be quite a, an, an aggressive form of dementia and brain uh brain disease brain deterioration and he had been experiencing a lot of the symptoms um it would seem um you know prior to prior to deciding to kind of take his own life and i think i was or i was reflecting on it kind of going well there was somebody who knew He was going to lose that facility, that facility of recognition, that facility of of understanding um, the world through through seeing others and being seen by others, because that, of course, is an aspect of, of of dementia where the sufferer will cease to remember people that they've known all their lives and. I mean again it's you know I have no idea what was in Robin Williams Robin Williams's head but presumably the that prospect was perhaps in his you know was factored into his 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 desire to to end his own life um and you know louis body dementia um it, you know is not something that's curable and so it would have been extremely daunting for someone who For someone who had such a, you know, a brilliant kind of mind and a brilliant facility for that sort of, you know, mental kind of alacrity and acuity and the facility, obviously his facility for for, for comedy was hugely a part of that um, brain function. Um, And so, yeah, he was really going to be hit where it hurt um in any case look at that's it that's a uh, do is this uh, I, I'm, I'm making a habit of this <laughs> i'm making a habit of, fin- of of finishing the podcast with a sort of a depressing story so i apologize um robin williams what a i don't know he was, he was kind of a genius wasn't he is that is that is that word overused i think he was he struggled for a long time to find the right kind of movie vehicle for his talent but uh he got there in the end and we've got here in the end it is the end of this particular episode so i hope you've got something out of this it was a bit of a movie heavy one today i had a friend tell me recently that she's not really into the movie ones she said i hate the movie ones they're terrible she didn't say that i could have chosen to hear it that way but i didn't because i'm a big boy i'm a grown-up and i could handle it and i'm like okay that's fine not for you but she likes other ones. and um, I hope, I hope, I, she knows who she is. She knows who she is. I'm going to call her Dolores. Even though that's not your name, Dolores, you know what your name is. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it, Dolores. I hope you enjoyed this one and I hope you'll go and watch that movie and maybe those other movies I mentioned because you're great. I think you were great too. And thanks for listening because I know you're a regular listener. Okay, that's it. I'm going to leave it there. Um, As always, you can, and I'd love if you did this, I would love it. I would love it. (laughs) I'm quoting Kevin Keegan there. Do you know who Kevin Keegan is? He was a footballer, and then he was a football manager, and there was a guy who wore his heart on his sleeve, and he would love it if his team beat Man United. That's what he said back then, and they didn't, and then they lost the championship. There you go, poor old Kev. But I would love it. If you threw me some love on social media, <laughs> so after advocating, get the hell off social media. I'm saying, get on there, tell everyone how much you love this podcast. If you do, tell everyone how much you're enjoying it. If you are, and uh, you can do that on Twitter at the Clear Out Two—that's number two, Clear Out Two. You can do it on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at the Clear Out Podcast. Um. So yeah, tell your pals. Tell your pals, come on over, let's have a listen. And if you want to throw some financial support at the show, because this is an independent podcast, as you can tell, there isn't an ad in sight, uh, you can do so using the supporter link wherever you're listening to this podcast or using the Patreon link, which is patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And there will be a link for that also where you're listening to this podcast. So that's it. You take care of yourself, okay? stay safe watch out use those eyes use those eyes for good think about what you're using those eyes to look at think about your gaze is it a male gaze are you killing women with that gaze is it a female gaze what are you allowed to look at that's a good one too okay take care of yourselves stay safe i'll be back real soon all the best take care bye